0: Welcome to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week, where our goal is to equip the believer to do the work of the ministry. This week, our Associate Pastor Ephraim Monahan, a.k.a. me, is preaching, um, so we hope you enjoy this message from the Associate Pastor here at Gateway Church, Pastor Ephraim Monahan.
1: Hey, y'all. Hey, it's good to be back. Good to see everybody. Um. And I'm, I'm going to take this moment just to introduce my son, who's going to be preaching this morning. But I want to let you guys know that I've been really well taken care of by my wife. She has been amazing. Give her a, a cheer. And um, thank you guys so much for all your help and all the love that you've shown to, uh, to us and our family. You know, when, when bad stuff happens, you're like, oh, man, what did I do? Like, man, you know. Um, but I want to just encourage you, no matter what we go through, it, it, it's not what we go through, but it's who we go through with. And this is what, um, you know, throughout this time, through this, I love how you call it a hiking accident. It really makes it sound like I was, like, climbing Mount Everest. <laughs> not really. Um, kind of like dumb, uh, uh, putting trust in something that wasn't trustworthy and then falling. Um, so, but you know what? Um Whether it was a practical thing or a spiritual thing, we know that God is um, throughout this whole time. It's like Jesus: we're going to walk through this together, and so it doesn't really matter what goes on in the natural realm. It it, what matters is is who are you with in the spirit right now? Um, And I just want to encourage you guys and thank you guys so much for your love and um, just for we're we're just thankful, we're just very grateful. And um, what this is the second coming of Chris, right? I uh, mean, that sounds bad, but anyway, um, we're, we're, it's going to take a couple weeks to be fully recovered, and I want to thank God for uh, my son, Pastor Ephraim. He's been rocking it, huh? I love it. So, um, But it was his birthday last week, and uh, okay, you don't need anything. Don't touch me, okay? I'm not that huggable yet, or not that touchable, so... That right shoulder, but I love you anyway, okay. Okay. Uh, uh, but, you know, Ephraim is, um, he's my fourth born son. Uh, his name, Ephraim, comes from the Hebrew word to be fruitful, to be doubly fruitful. And he truly has uh, shown me that in my life. is like, wow, this man can do just about anything. And then what really bugs me is he does it well. Like, man, you can't do, yeah, he does it, he does it well. But um, I just want to encourage you that Um, no matter where you are, and like I was telling my son this week for his birthday, um, you know, God placed the sun in the universe, the star in our solar system that never lacks a single resource. Aren't you glad that there's a heat source in our solar system that never has to be replenished? Uh It's stable. It's continuous. And that's what I see for uh, Ephraim. He is just a stable source of power that, um, and as you know, many of you know, um, Ashton and his beloved uh, fiance, they'll be traveling and probably going to New York City in May and June and, and leaving but um, I just really believe that that's a bold step to go to New York City. How many know that's a bold step and um, and be praying for them but I just really know that God's going to use you guys mightily wherever he places you but never to, to worry about it. So would you just give uh, the Lord some thanks for my son as he ministers to us this morning. God bless. You. Thank you.
0: Love you. Is this thing on? Can you guys hear me all right? Check, check, check. All right, I'll leave this one here just in case. Um, but yeah, this week was Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. It's also close to my birthday, but that's not the reason why. The reason why is like you get to eat a lot, you know, and family, but mainly, you know, eating a lot. Um, speaking of, we do have um, confession booths in the back for anyone dealing with gluttony. Um, so especially after Thanksgiving, you know, I'm just joking and messing with you guys. Um, but yeah, Thanksgiving is always my best. <laughs> it's always my favorite. <laughs> it's uh, um, just getting to eat a lot of food and have fun with family. My family came, or my my older brother Michael and his wife Jane with their little baby Charlie came um, over for Thanksgiving, and it was great. It was great to get to see family, um, get to see the little the little baby, my little. Um, niece I'm officially an uncle now so that's pretty cool but the whole entire time oh my goodness she's she's a total COVID baby and if you guys don't know what COVID baby means that's just like a baby that has not seen a whole lot of people because everything's always like you know shut down you know we're mass social distance so she's very much like with mom with dad that's it and so when I go over I'm like hi Charlie she gives me like this biggest stink I'm like, what's wrong with you Get away. I even noticed like you know Michael would hand me like the bo- like a bottle and just be like here and she she's really hungry now like she's starving like she'll she'll recognize you and I was like okay cool and I take the I take the bottle and I handed it to her and she went she like pretended she she didn't even whine she just like pretended I wasn't there um and so you know I know she loves me deep down but she's just a little shy um the only thing, she did say one thing to me, though, She's, um, she, she does says one word really well and that's bye. Um, she goes like, bye. And so, <laughs> this is funny, I started, I was like, from across the room, I was like, hi, Charlie, and I started walking toward her and she goes, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so at least she talks to me. Um, <laughs> But no, Thanksgiving like my favorite holiday, one of my favorites. Um, it's up there. Um, but it's also amazing because it's a time where we get to give thanks to God and stop and recognize what we're thankful for. Um, and there's so much to be thankful for. But we don't realize sometimes how powerful of a weapon giving thanks is. Inside Philippians 4, uh, verse 6, I think we have that up there on the board. Sweet. Thank you, Abigail. It's my sister in the back there. Yeah. Um, It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And also in Scripture, I didn't put this Scripture on there, of course, um, but when it talks about how we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, how thanksgiving is literally the, the prerequisite to prayer and to praise. Yeah. That's, that's what we got to start with. So prayer and praise should always be accompanied by thanksgiving. This is how powerful giving thanks to God is. That in our prayers, I'm not sure if you guys noticed it, sometimes I do it without even thinking, is I start prayer before I even say anything. I'm like, oh, whew, okay, thank you, Lord. And I don't even know what I'm thankful for. I'm just like, thank you, God. Okay, yeah. God, you're good. And then I start praying, and I don't even realize it. But that's actually scripture of how we should always pray. How we should always praise as well is to start with thanks, with giving thanks to God. So, like, why? Why do we give thanks to God? Why do we need to? Um, And I wrote this down. I wrote this quote down. I felt like the Lord gave it to me. It's a little confusing, so I'll I'll break it down into parts. But um, I wrote down: If you are thankful for what God has already given for you, slash what He's already done for you and even thankful for what he has not even given to you or done for you yet. If you are thankful for what God has done for you and what he hasn't, what he's going to do, it invites more goodness and blessing to enter your life. It invites more goodness and blessing to enter your life. Why is that? It's on the basis of being a good steward of what you've already been uh, been given through being thankful. So, just like the parable, I'm not sure if you guys know, or I'm sure you guys do. But the common parable, I love it. One of my favorite is the parable of the the, the three servants and the talons. So, pretty much, if you don't know, the master has gone away on a long trip, and he leaves money with different with his servants. One he gives one talent, another two talents, and another five talents. Um, and you know, one person doesn't steward it well. They they bury it, and they cover it, and they leave it there. Another person you know, does a good business investment, they double their money. The other guy does a good business investment, doubles their money. They are good stewards of what was already given to them. Right. And so in this case, what the talent is can be literally anything inside our life. It can be our job. It can be our family. It can be our finances. It can be our marriage. It can be our kids. Whatever the Lord has given to us, yeah. that's our talent inside this, inside this instance. And how we steward that is we steward it through thanksgiving. When we are thankful for it, that's stewarding it. And so when God comes back and says, I mean, he's always here, but when God comes and he says, you know, it's like, okay, how have you been stewarding this blessing that I've been given to that I've given you, when we steward it with thanksgiving, we start to see it multiply just like in the parable. And this is a common, this is common in a lot of all throughout scripture about this, when you're thankful for it, when you are a good steward of it, you start to see it be multiplied. That's right. So to elaborate, in your job. Right now, let's say your job, maybe your job is great right now, or maybe your job kind of stinks. Maybe you're like, oh, my coworkers are annoying, my manager is always yelling at me, the paint too good. Like, whatever the case is, if we are thankful for that, if we start every day with saying, God, I am thankful for my job, even if it's hard to get out, we be like, God, I'm thankful for my tch, 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 job. Whatever it takes to get out. Just, so God, I'm thankful for my, for my job and for giving this to me. We'll start to see that multiply. We'll start to see the blessing multiply. When we say, even if, if our family, let's say maybe our family, we have, you know, 10 kids and only one of them is giving their life to the Lord. We can say, God, I'm so thankful for the one. Because that's how God is. He's thankful for the one, and so we should be thankful for the one. We say, God, maybe my other nine aren't giving their lives, aren't living their lives for you, but God, I thank you so much for the one. And live in that thankfulness and start to see it multiply. In your marriage, maybe your, your marriage is struggling, but God, but thank God every single time you might have maybe one good conversation inside that week, and you start to see it multiply and multiply and multiply. I mean, it's so true in ministry, too. If you've ever been in ministry, sometimes just one person shows up, and you're like, God, I'm so thankful for this one person. Their life's going to get changed tonight. It's going to be amazing. Because maybe sometimes all God gives you is that single talent. But when we are thankful for it and we steward it well, we start to see it multiply. So that's one, one way that Thanksgiving is a tool, is, is when we are thankful for things, we start to see it multiply. Yeah. Now, thanksgiving is also one of the best tools in battling against mental torment, anxiety, and stress, and depressive thoughts. So, if we read Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. So like we we're saying, when you start each and every day with Thanksgiving, it renews your mind. Those, those negative neural pathways of you know, being bitter toward a person that's bitter to you, or being angry because of a certain financial situation, when we start with Thanksgiving, it starts to rewire your brain. It starts to make you think thankfulness. That's stewarding your thoughts well. Because yes, we can steward our job and our marriage and and our finances well and start to see it become multiplied. But when we steward our thoughts well, we start to see multiplication. We start to see relief, freedom, peace inside all of those things. So I challenge you each and every day, if you can think of anything good, which we all can, and if you sit down and you you really sit down you can't think of a single thing that you're grateful for, That's a spirit you need to pray off. (laughs) Because there's always gratefulness. There's always good inside your life. And if you can't think of anything good inside your life, guess guess who died for you 2,000 years ago so that you can have eternal life? That is one thing to be thankful for. So don't tell me you can't be thankful for something. Don't tell me your life is too bad to where you can't be thankful for something. Because when you can focus on what is good, what is lovely, whatever is good, and be thankful for it, you start to see it be multiplied inside your life. Just like Philippians 4, 8 says... Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so we can use thanksgiving as one of our best tools, giving thanks to God as one of our best tools to do like a cleaning, like a daily maintenance, like on our minds or on our situations. Whether that's our finances, our job, the physical things, or whether that's our mental, our mental capacity, or our mental torment, whatever's happening. That's like our tool, it's like our daily maintenance. But then sometimes you need to get into the deep cleaning. I don't know, I'm not sure how many of you guys know, but I worked in like the service industry and like the restaurants and all that stuff for a a big portion of like my job career. I worked as a dishwasher when I was 14, and I worked that for a while, and then I worked at Starbucks for a while, and then I worked at a restaurant for a while being a cook. And so all these jobs had one thing in common, at least one thing in common, is that at the end of every night or during a break, you would always do a surface cleaning. You know, make sure that sink is scrubbed down, sanitized, looks good, make sure those floors are swept and mopped, make sure all the counters are cleaned, like do your surface cleaning. But about every other week or a month or however long it was, we set aside a time where there was no one coming in, where we didn't have to do anything, where we could fully focus on doing a deep cleaning. Oh, man, some, some deep cleanings, you could, you could tell. It's like, oh, my goodness, how long has it been since we cleaned this thing? You know, you pull out the stove, and you see, like, rats in there, and you're like, oh, my. Not really. I've never witnessed that. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> but sometimes, you know, it's, it's nasty. No, not that yet. Not that yet. We, I don't need to show you guys that yet. Um, <laughs> but sometimes, every now and then, we need to do a deep cleaning in ourselves because we can do that daily maintenance of thanksgiving, of prayer of supplication, but sometimes we need to do a deep cleaning. Sometimes we don't realize that, that thing that happened to us earlier in the month really took a toll on us and we haven't let go of it yet. Sometimes we can find out, oh, I've been harboring unforgiveness and hatred for a year now. Sometimes you can figure out, oh my goodness, when I was a kid, this happened to me, and I've never been able to let it go. I've never been able to forgive.
1: Because God is
0: alive, and he's active. He's sharper than any two-edged sword. His word is sharper than a two-edged sword. You can't separate him from his word. And so you know that he's constantly working in you, pruning you, bringing things to light, that you, need to, that you need to bring to him. And so I'm not sure how many of you guys know this show. It's called Hoarders. And it's it's one of those shows where you're like, yuck, who would watch that? And then you watch one episode and two hours later, you're just like, oh my goodness, Janice, just 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 like let go of the stuff. Come on, clean up your kitchen. Um, it's one of those shows, you know, but um, I always, it was actually kind of funny. I was, I was in, like, a time of worship, and the Lord just showed me the show Hoarders, and I haven't watched it in, like, a while, and I was like, okay, God, I don't know what this means. And so I started watching it, watching it again, and, and it's crazy. Like, pretty much they have a system to the show where like, they go in and they see what the hoarder is doing. Sometimes it's like, oh, that's not too bad. It's just, like, stuff piled to the walls. Other times it's like, this person hasn't taken out their trash in 20 years, They have had like 20 cats living in their house that they've never taken out. And it's like, it's horrible. And the one that I watched, I watched the worst one. It was like poop everywhere. I don't know if I could say that in church, but it was horrible. Oh my goodness. There's like, there's even like dead cats. Like I know when there's like, they would clean up stuff and be like, there's Fluffy. And she's like, oh my goodness. I haven't seen her for six years. I wonder what happened. And so I know we talk about like past trauma and baggage and we say there's skeletons in our closet, but in the show Hoarders, there's actually skeletons in the closets. And and so when I was watching this show, it it helped me realize a couple of things. It's they have like this system that they have to almost every single episode is where they pretty much, they bring in, they they show the hoarder. It's like, this is the hoarder. This is her house. And you're like, oh, wow. Then they bring... Then usually at some point, whether it was from the hoarder's self-realization or from friends and family coming to the hoarder, the hoarder realizes I have a problem. I'm a hoarder, I need help. So they call the show in, they call these people in, and then they they start working. So that's like the first thing: is that the hoarder realizes they have a problem. The second thing is that a therapist comes in, like whether it's a counselor, a psychologist, someone who's, like, trained inside this, like, been working with hoarders forever. And the therapist talks to, talks to them and, like, kind of, like, has the friends and family talk to them. And the therapist is like, here's what we need to do. And then the final thing, the third thing, is that they have this cleaning team come in and they clean up all the trash, all the stuff. They organize the items and they let the hoarder decide what they want to keep and what they want to throw away. So they have, like, a system to it. And, oh my goodness, when I watch this show, it it convicts me every single time that I thought someone was a hoarder. You would walk into a house and you see something, or I'm not judgmental, I'm just like saying, it's just like in the back of your mind, like, am I a hoarder right now? Or, oh, my brother's such a hoarder with that. Then I watched the show and I was like, never mind. Those are hoarders. But yeah, they have like a system to these shows. And so I felt like the Lord, when I was watching this, he was relating this show to how we can carry baggage, but also how we can let go of baggage. Trauma and different things that we don't even realize we're holding on to. And so I'm gonna relate a couple of these things because there's three things. First is that that the the hoarder's like, I have a problem. Second thing is they seek counsel slash therapy, deliverance, and the last thing is that they organize their things and they surrender them, they give them away. And that's the only way that they receive freedom. So the first thing is that we have a problem. (laughs) So who knows that you are a human, that you make mistakes, that stuff happens to you, and you do things that you regret? And so that's the first thing, is that we realize that we actually aren't perfect. Because if we feel like we're perfect, that's pride. Um, So Scripture tells us in Matthew um, 23, verse 12, says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the first thing to do when you have past hurt or trauma or baggage is to realize I'm not perfect, my situations aren't perfect, and bad stuff happens. Something when I was, I forget where I heard this. Um, it was probably some show with, this, uh, with a therapist, and they're saying how people... When they go through something traumatic, what they tend to do is start to reason with it. They'll go through something traumatic, whether that was assault, whether that was manipulation, abuse, and they'll start to like, make, like, reason with it, and say, you know what, I actually deserved that that happened to me. I deserve that abuse that happened to me 20 years ago. I deserve that abuse because I did something bad there. I, I really must have done something really bad to deserve that. Or maybe I'm the problem they weren't the problem, my abuser wasn't the problem, I'm the problem, I egged him or her on. So we start to reason with it. And so the first thing is to realize that we have a problem, bad things actually do happen. Bad things do happen. And we need to humble ourselves to not walk in pride so that we can receive healing. That's like the first thing, first things first. Because if we aren't able to give stuff up, if we... um, if we aren't able to let go of things, if we hold on to things, if we're prideful, we'll never walk in healing. So if we walk in pride, you can't walk in healing. If you walk in pride, you can't walk in healing. James 5.16 says this. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You can't go, do we have that up there, James James 5.16. Um, but if we, if we aren't able to go to someone with our issues, if we can't accept that we have a problem, we're not going to be healed. Scripture right here says, therefore conf- confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so that's the first thing. We have to realize if we want to receive healing that bad things happen, that we are human, that we might have a problem, that we do have problems. The second thing that they do in the show is they bring in a counselor a therapist. And so that's the next thing I want to talk about, is counseling, deliverance, and all that stuff. Like, that's why we do Ancient Paths here, which it's a very, it's a very simple thing of, we go through this, this class, maybe if you deal with anger, we try to figure out what the root of that is. You seek counsel. I mean, it's a good thing. You know, like, counsel, deliverance, and therapy. And, oh, I just said the T word in church. I'm sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, like, that Therapy has been taboo in the church for for a long time now. So a lot of times we'll start to just disassociate. We'll just say, nah, I'll just pray about it. I don't need to talk to anyone about it. You know, I I don't need to talk to anyone about this. I don't need to have someone that I'm accountable with. I I can just put that to the side. I can pray to God and I'll be good. But just like James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another, pray for each other, then you'll be healed. It's that, that, that act of being humbled and saying, I need help. Yes, yes. It's the hardest thing that you'll ever say is I need help. Yes. But therapy and counseling, they're very biblical. It's very biblical to seek counsel and therapy and to have community. Because Proverbs, Proverbs 16, no, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Wow. If you feel like because something happened to you or because you did something, you need to isolate yourself, that's the enemy. That's not God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, God might take you through, through some, some wilderness seasons when, you, when something really awesome happened so you can just stop and pray and give all the glory to him. But when something bad happens and you want to isolate yourself, that's not God. That's the enemy. Yeah. If you sin and you have this conviction and you want to isolate yourself, That's not God. That's the enemy. When you feel that conviction on your heart, you run to someone. You run to a pastor, to a counselor, to your accountability partner, your mentor, to a therapist, to someone, and talk about what you've done. Talk about what's eating away at you. How I explain it to the teens is Jesus is the ruler of light. And Satan, the enemy, he's the ruler of darkness. So if we sin and we take our sin to the light, we bring it to the light, we bring it out in the open, we bring it to God, we are forgiven through Christ, and that doesn't become our sin anymore. It becomes our testimony. Our sin becomes our testimony. But if we have our sin and we isolate, we keep it in the darkness where the enemy has rule over it. At that point, we haven't seeked forgiveness because we, we can't bring it to God, we can't bring it to the light. We keep it in the dark, it's so where the enemy works on it. Yeah. In shame, yeah. makes us feel worthless, yeah. make us feel like we've done something so horrible that there's no forgiveness, so you might as well keep doing what you did. Yeah. That's the sin that leads to death. This sin, when you give it to God, we're set free because Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago and we are set free. And we can walk in that and live in that, but when we take that sin and we isolate ourselves in the darkness, that's the sin that leads to death. If you sin and you're bringing it to God, it's like all have sin, cool, you should pursue holiness, but if if you sin, the second you bring that to isolation and you stop talking about it, you start covering it up, you start getting shameful about it, that's a red flag. That's a big red flag. Because that's the sin that will lead to death. Bring that. This this should convict you. Bring that to a counselor. Bring that to a pastor. Bring that to a friend. Seek counsel, just like James 5.16 says. Bring it, confess it to one another. Pray about it. Be healed. There's another place in Scripture that actually the whole book is pretty much one big accountability counseling session And it's the book of Job. I didn't realize this, but the book of Job, I would hear the pastors preach about it. And I would remember thinking about like when I read it and I was like, yeah, they're right. And I think the whole book is about this guy, Job, who, you know, a whole lot of bad stuff happened to him, went through a whole lot of trials, then God miraculously turned it for good and multiplied it. In reality, that's chapter one, two, and the last chapter, like the half that the half. Like the last half of the last chapter, sorry. So if you break down the whole book of Job, there's 42 books, or 42 chapters of this book. Job is about 6% the story of this, this guy named Job and his trial and then multiplication. 6%. The other 83% is Job seeking counsel from his friends. And then, the, and then another 11% there at the end is Job talking to God. So 83% of this book is Job having conversations and talks with his friends. So to break this down, summarize, Job gets hurt. <laughs> and, you know, the, the devil's like, let me at him. God's like, go ahead, I trust him. Job gets hurt, loses everything that he's ever had. He is hopeless, he has nothing. Then three friends come along, old wise friends. These guys are like old and wise and whatever. And they, they talk with Job. And they're like, Job, like for this to happen to you, you must have done something really bad. That was their mindset. And so for this whole entire time, like over half the book of Job, Job is defending himself of, I didn't do anything bad. And his friends are like, well, this and this and this and this. So you must have done something bad. And it gets Job to this place where he's defending himself when he's seeking counsel, and he's trying to figure out why it happened to him. Yes, it might have not been perfect counsel, but it made Job think. It made Job think, why could this happen to me? And at a certain point, there's this fourth guy that comes along. And it says that he wasn't older than the rest of them. He was actually younger. And he said he didn't speak because he was younger in age. His name was Elihu. Did I say that right? Elihu, something like that. Um, and Elihu, he had the conviction of God on his life. He was filled with the spirit. This man, like, he, that's what he said. He's like, I give glory to God. He, he rebuked the friends, and was like, who said that happened? And then he rebuked Job. Why are you defending yourself? Why are you questioning God? And he speaks sense into Job. He speaks sense into Job. Elihu is this man that speaks sense into Job and talks to him. He's like, yes, I actually, I agree. Maybe you didn't do something wrong, but God works in ways that we can't understand. And so it got Job to this place where he was ready to talk to God. He was ready to have a serious conversation with God because he was able to process. And that's something that we lack sometimes. Is we'll say, oh, we'll just, we'll, we'll just pray about it. I won't talk to anyone about it. Right. But when we do that, we don't process what's happened, and we don't know what to pray about. Right. We don't know what to surrender. When bad stuff happens to us, there's so much that goes on that if we just sit there and isolate and just say, okay, I'll just pray about it. I'll be fine. We miss 90% of what we need to pray about. I agree. Yeah. But when we bring it before others, when we talk about it, when we actually process what's going on, what's happening, we start to see all those things come to light that we're able to let go of. Okay. And so this is what happened is after Job and Elihu's conversation Job cries out to God. He's like, God, I need answers. I'm ready to talk. What's happening? Have you forsaken me? All of these things. And God replies. And after all this, Job is like, he understands now. God speaks to him. And it's like that last 11% right there of, of the book of Job is God speaking to Job. And a lot of it's rebuke, actually. God's like, how dare you not trust me? Were you there when I created the universe? Didn't think so. Trust my ways, they're bigger than yours. (laughs) was pretty much what he said. And Job understood. He followed the Lord. He repented. Even repented on, or the Lord told his friends to repent. The first three to repent because they were kind of making false witness of Job. Even though it was helping Job process, like they still needed to repent. But that last guy, Elihu, that, that really good counselor right there, that trained counsel, God didn't say anything about him repenting. Even though he might have not been 100% right, but he had some sense and he was talking sense into Job. And what did that do? That conversation, that counsel, led Job to prayer. That's what all counsel, therapy, deliverance should lead us to. If we allow therapy, counsel, and deliverance to overtake our prayer life, if if we say, I'll just get therapy, I don't need to pray about it. I'll just get counsel. I don't need to pray about it or surrender anything to God. Then we're in the wrong there. But if we take therapy and counsel and community with friends and discipleship and all these things and it drives us to repentance, then that's good. That's where our mindset should always be with counsel. And sometimes it's not instant. I'll tell you guys now. Most of the time it's not instant. It's a process. We see awesome breakthroughs, but we got to be we got to be consistent with going to our pastor, going through a counselor, going to a therapist, receiving what we need to receive, processing what we need to process. Because yes, God works in miraculous ways. Yes, there's instantaneous miracles, but I've seen the biggest miracles working in the process than I have in the instant. God works the biggest miracles in the process rather than the instant. So that was the second thing that they do in the Show Hoarders, is they get the therapist there, they get the counselor, they talk to them, they help them process of what's going on, and they make them want to change. It's, okay, I need to change because I want to have a relationship with my kids. I want to have my grandchildren over. I need to change. And then the third thing is that they start to clean out the trash and the garbage, and they organize some of the items. But it's ultimately the hoarders, like, it's their, it's their decision. If they want to throw something away, they want to keep it, even if it's trash. It's their, jo- it's their job to say, okay, fine, I'll give up the cat poop. Yeah, come on. Oh, okay, fine, I'll give up the dirty paper plates. You can throw those away. And we laugh. But I look at myself, and I look at how I respond to some things, and I'm pretty much the same way in my spirit. I've been harboring unforgiveness in my heart for a while that, when I think back, there's, there's times where I realize that I've been harboring unforgiveness for a while. That's like, that's like the poop. <laughs> that's the trash. And I'm like, and I'm, like ah, I'm not ready to give up on that. I'm not able to give that away. And so that's something that happens to us. But this is the third thing that they do, is they organize and they clean. And so when the Lord reveals everything to us through prayer, through counsel, through community, it's ultimately up to us what we want to take out, what we want to surrender to the Lord, what we want to give away, and what we want to keep and organize and and work on and steward well. And it's like how we renew our mind. Because there's unforgiveness, there's hatred, there's all of these things, these negative emotions, there's these negative things, there's things that affect us every day. Sometimes we don't realize why we would burst out in anger, why we would try to lie all the time, or why we would try to, I don't know, do, do things that we just shouldn't do. And a lot of it traces back to a root, to some garbage that's in us, yeah. some things that we're hoarding, that there's no reason why we should be hoarding. Yeah. And then there's other things that, yes, we should keep and organize. I actually had this, it was like a prophetic word, word of knowledge, I guess, for this, for this one girl at this like youth event, and um, this girl was dealing with anxiety, um, and she she was like saying that she had anxiety attacks a lot, and so it was actually me and Ashton were like praying with her, talking with her, and I felt like the Lord gave me this word. It was like this desk that was filled like with papers, this desk that had papers all over the place, and. Then I saw the Lord was guiding her to pick up the papers and organize them and put them in a folder. But before she put them in the folder, she was saying, God, I surrender this to you. God, I surrender this to you. God, I surrender this to you. And so the Lord helped me interpret interpret this that that was like her mind, but that's like a lot of our minds, is that it's like a desk cluttered with papers that there's so many things that are on the surface of our mind, on the surface of this desk that, we, that eat away at us, that cause energy to be pulled out of us. These, these are things that cause anxiety and depressive thoughts, things that we dwell on that we don't need to be dwelling on. And so these things that, are, that we are dwelling on that are constantly going on in our mind, it's like the papers that are on the desk that we need to say, God, I surrender this to you. I trust in you. And we put it in the folder. And we start to see our mind or our desk in this example clear, and we're able to do work now. We're able to look at what we need to look at. We're able to work on what we need to work on. But it starts with taking these papers that are cluttering our mind, these thoughts that are cluttering our mind, and saying, God, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how I can work in this situation, but I trust that you are going to. Put it in that folder, and we put that folder in the desk, and we're clean. This This is how we can organize our thoughts. This is like how what they do in the show Hoarders is they organize things. They take out the trash. They throw things away that they need to throw away and they organize things that they need to organize. But at the end of the day it's your choice if you want to get free or stay in bondage. Yeah. Yeah. God isn't going to take anything away out of your will. Out of your free will. We serve a God of free will. In the garden, Adam and Eve had the free choice if they wanted to make that mistake, and they did. And it's the same with all of our baggage. It's the same with all of these feelings that we can either say, nope, I want to hold on to them, or nope, you know what, God? I surrender to you. I trust you, God. I trust you, God. Work inside this way. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 6, It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endures such I have it here too. Consider him who endures such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's things that are hindering us. There's sins that are laying on our heart. And these are things that we need to lay down to run this race with with Christ it's like putting on this heavy backpack and trying to walk around and run a run a marathon it's going to tire you out so so quick and I know I feel like this is a message that I get to preach to the kids a lot is like we got to lay down our baggage and give it to the Lord we're never too old we always mess up all have sinned and fallen short we need God each and every day And so I don't know if we can put the synth on or something I want to have just a time of ministry. I want to have a time of ministry where we just lay it all down before the Lord. Can we actually have um, our prayer teams come on up? Um, Just our leaders. Um, Yeah, our prayer, you know, leaders here, pastors here. And just to come up to the front. Second year KCSM. KCSM students, second years, just um, come on up. And I want us to just take a moment just to close your eyes, bow your head, and just ask the Lord, God, what's laying on my heart? God, what baggage am I carrying? God, what do I need to surrender to you. Just let the Lord work on your heart right now. Let the Lord work on your heart. Just take this moment of silence. Let the Lord work on your heart, and if you're ready to come on up and talk about it, to receive prayer for it, I just invite you to come on up, but just stay in this place. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29 tells us, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Whatever is weighing down on your heart, give it to the Lord. Lord. Seek counsel. Talk to friends. Talk to family. 2000, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross for our sin, for our sickness, for our shame. True, we don't have to hold on to these things anymore. He wants them. He wants us to let go. Just like in that show how the family and friends so badly want their their family member, their hoarder friend to just say, okay, I let go of this. You can throw this away. You can do what you want with it. I want it out of my house. And they rejoice. And in the same way, Jesus died on that cross 2,000 years ago and he rose again and he rejoices every single time that we say, God, I give it to you. Every single time that we say, I don't want to hold on to this baggage anymore, God, I give it to you. I lay it down at the foot of the cross. He rejoices. So let this just be a time where we just lay it all down at the foot of the cross. You lay it all down at his feet. And so if you're still receiving ministry, I just encourage you to stay in that place. If you need to pick up your kids inside the kids' class you're free to go do so. But I really just encourage you to let's just stay inside this time. Let's just stay inside this moment. God, you're good. You're good, God. Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. Make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And for more information, videos, sermons, or events, check out our website at igateway.org. Thank you, and have a blessed week.